The temps are warmer, you've mowed the lawn, and maybe even turned on the AC a time or two. It's definitely spring. So SpI.com is having their spring sale. Log on now and get local deals up to 50% off before they're gone. SpI.com. This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Hello, Tim <laughs> Butler. How are you? I am still recovering. But you're going to be better when you turn your mic Stay on, fair. by the way. What's that? There, we're now we're okay. All right, Mike's on. Still Carson. recovering from the State Fair. It's Jeff Hoffman revisited here. You know, every time <laughs> oh, I Mike. pull in the parking lot. Mine will be off next. I know that. Every time I pull in the parking lot, I think of Hoffman and the fact he'd be out there smoking a cigarette every time I pull in. You know? <laughs> and usually more than one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> like the ceremonial cigarette to start the one-way traffic around the Illinois State Fair. <laughs> one F, two ends. <laughs> hey, speaking of the State Fair, I, got, I received this from Tess Fagans. You know Tess Fagans? No. She's the deputy consul at Department of Agriculture. Okay, all right, all right. Graduate, I think she told me, of Pleasant Plains. She's been on staff out there for about five or six years. And uh, she said, Sam, remind you that this Thursday, Friday, for the next three Thursday Fridays, at noon, they're moving harness racing from Hawthorne Park to the State Fair. Yeah, good. Now, it will not be wagering, no paramutual. But at, for the next three Thursdays and Fridays, 12 noon, 10 race card every yeah. day. Go And it's free to go in and watch if you kind of want to revisit. Awesome. Yeah, it really is. You now know I'm hearing. It, it, no, go ahead. Well, now I'm hearing, I was going to ask you to comment, but I'm hearing that maybe Hawthorne is going to move some dates next April, yeah. May, June, July to Springfield, and there will be paramutual wagering. Well, one have of you the, heard that? One of the one of the things that uh, I'm I'm most proud of in my service here in the General Assembly is uh, the creation of the State Fair Gaming Act, and mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before, but but it gave us it gave us uh, a structure to be able to to expand things at the state fairgrounds, uh, and it's why we have uh, video gaming out at the out at the fairgrounds now, which uh, part of that money that people when they when they use the VGTs at the at the state fair. Uh, goes into a fund for infrastructure at the fairgrounds. That's exactly. the whole idea, to, to support the infrastructure at the fairgrounds. The other thing that we did with the State Fair Gaming Act was expand the number of dates for harness racing at the at the fairgrounds, I think up to 30 or 35, I want to say, per okay. year. Uh, and the idea is uh, we have a beautiful facility here that has a wonderful tradition in the state of Illinois uh, that I would love to see get back up and going when it comes to, to harness racing. We have, we have the real ability to, to do that here. So I, I'm... I know the the agency has been talking about this for a while, trying to expand it, use some of those dates. So I'm I'm glad to hear that and glad to see that. And I think it's it's something that uh, I'm going to keep pushing for. And I know a lot of people. I know Director Costello is is a big proponent of that. Yep. And uh, I think it's great because I think it I think it's a way to to I mean it's an industry that that needs some help in Illinois. Really, no need, we've lost a ton to out of state. Um, the the infrastructure at the fairgrounds is there to be able, especially for training. You go out there any. Any morning, um, you see them out there training the horses, and it's 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 a really cool thing to go out there. And I think we have the ability to hopefully do good things as, as we move forward. So, so I'm glad to hear that. That's good. Well, knowing what you know about the act, this is what some horsemen are telling me who seem to know a little bit, but they may be operating. They said, Sam, there's also a pretty good chance that if they put Paramutual in next April, May, for the state fairgrounds when Hawthorne runs those dates, they will also, there are some machines in waiting out there that will be placed inside first floor, south end of the grandstand. That's where the paramutual windows will be, and that's where some gaming machines will be. Would that law, as you know, allow something we, like that? We would, we would have to change the law. The, oh, okay. what, we, what we passed was specifically 
for the run of the video video gaming machines. Period. Not not other not other gaming machines. Just video. Just VGT machines. Um, which, as you know, it's it's a different tax structure for those because there's actually money that re- that comes back to the locals on VGTs, which that local share comes to the to the fund for infrastructure, the fairgrounds. Uh, we would have to change the law to be able to allow uh, either expanded VGTs outside of the dates of the state fair or, oh, okay. or any other or any other um, uh, gaming uh, that that might take that might take place. But look, this is one of the things that I was really happy when we did the gaming bill back in 2019, and then we've made a couple. We've come back with a couple changes to it. You know, we we'd, we'd usually go a long time, a decade plus, without a gaming bill, and all these needs would add up, and then we'd we'd have some giant Christmas tree bill that would have a hard time getting through. But uh, Bob Rita, who's the the point for the House Democrats, um, uh, really has made a big point on this that you know each session we want to bite off little issues if we can. So if there are there are things that want to uh, come forward when it comes to gaming, especially you know for me for the fairgrounds. Let's have conversations about it. If there's change to the laws we need to make to make things better, then let's then let's do it. And I think that's a uh, and do it on a regular basis instead of waiting ten years to do it. Remind me your new district. I know you've still got the. Do you have all of Sangamon County now? No, uh, I have. Um, I have. Uh, do you have all of Springfield? I have the majority of the city of Springfield. Okay, not all of the. I have North End, West Side, South Side. Um, I get. All of Rochester, I got almost all of Chatham, and then I go south into Christian County, basically from Sankris over to Stonington, north of Taylorville, and then a little arm in Macon County that includes Booty. That's about it. Let's talk a little politics. Are you surprised you don't have an opponent? Democrats didn't nominate somebody in November. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not overly surprised. Obviously, um, you know uh, the Democrats don't have a great history of putting folks up against me in, in this district, uh, whether in the current district or the new district, and. And I think that's a combination of uh, how I approach the job and try to get things done, and the way that I, I try to work in a pretty good bipartisan manner. I think I think this this race specifically, and this is just me guessing, is that uh, the Democrats didn't want uh, me cranked up on this half of the Senate district, which is the Sandy Hamilton Doris oh, Turner race, right? Uh, and have me out there, you know, knocking doors and spending money and and getting uh, my half of the Senate district. My my House district is a Republican. Uh, it's Trump plus eight, so that's Trump numbers. Which uh, um, I think the other half of the Senate district, which is Representative Shears running against Lisa Smith, is is uh, uh, Biden plus eleven. So it's but I have more population in my half, so it's it's a pretty evenly split district. So I I would assume the Dems just didn't want uh, somebody uh, didn't want me to get out there being overly engaged. I guess with the, with an opponent would be my guess. You have to spend a lot of money on that primary campaign. About one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That about one hundred fifty thousand. I wasn't yep. going to ask, but that's yep. that's your call. It's all publicly reported. One hundred fifty thousand. Know? Yeah. And had there not been anything, you could have saved that one hundred fifty thousand. Absolutely, and that and that was one of my you know really uh, big complaints. And and obviously you know we've talked uh, not long after the election. I was in here, but. But you know, uh, uh, Kent has run for office multiple times. Kent Gray, and Kent Gray, is, is, and is, has uh, lost multiple times, especially recently. And you know, this is this is um, you know, I'm I'm I try to be a team player. Uh, I not only raise money to to run my operations, but I'm helpful to other candidates as well. I think that's part of the job is helpful. So helpful to people like Sandy Hamilton, helpful to people, um, you name it. The local candidates, um, you know, most of the countywide candidates, I'm I'm giving money to my, lo- you know. I, uh, wrote a check to to Misty Busher the other day, and and uh, I think that's part of the job. And so that's that's money that I had to spend on my primary that possibly could have gone to help out other candidates as well. How did you handle that race for Congress? Uh, both candidates, both Republican candidates, uh, Reagan and her opponent, yep. 
uh, both probably knocked on your door and asked for your endorsement. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I knew all. There's four. Remember the Regan Deering and Jesse yes. Rising, Terry Martin. Oh yeah, and Terry's Matt Houseman, local. and they're right. all they're all really good people. Um, and um, I, I most of them asked me directly for support. That's the district that I was drawn into as well. So it's my member of Congress. Uh, and I, what I told them is, you know, they're all good folks. I had a primary of my own that I had to worry about. Uh, and that, and that I was just kind of staying out of that race, um, uh, as far as supporting anyone and that I, they, they all understood. And I've, I've, you know, been all in for Regan since, since the, the primary, uh, I think she's a great candidate. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a tough election. That's a tough district either way. It's a tough district for the Democrats this year. I think it's a tough district every year for the Republicans in there, but I do think Regan's got a chance if, uh, especially if she starts uh, spending, spending some money. What's the amendment on the ballot yeah. about the right to work or whatever? Uh, all of a sudden, I get a scare thing the other day that uh, if this passes, that could jeopardize pensions for state employees who are presently drawing. Bring me up to date. What's that about? How do you personally feel about it? Has the Republican Party taken a stand on it? Yeah, um, you know, so this this amendment, I think, is directly attributable to the rounder years when it comes uh, to um, the views of, of labor unions. And so this is, this is an amendment in my, my mind. I think many of these amendments that, that have been put on the ballot recently are, are done for political reasons to try to push people out to the polls and so on. Uh, so what this amendment would do would basically put in the Constitution the fact that Illinois could not become a right-to-work state, as we've seen some, uh, I forget how many states around the country are, are right-to-work states, but it would enshrine in the Constitution the fact that Illinois cannot become a right-to-work state, basically, is what it is. So this this is pushed by many of the labor unions. Uh, I did not support it on the floor of the uh, of the House. I did not vote for it. I don't plan to vote for it this fall. Uh, I, ha- I have uh, a lot of good relationships with the labor unions I have over the years. But I think, and this is this is the same thing I told the public employee unions when we had the that arbitration bill several years ago, um, that, that I just don't think this is the place of the legislature, the General Assembly, to get involved in this. This is... These are largely uh, issues, negotiation issues when it comes to labor unions and employers and things like that. Uh, and we make them overly political through the through the legislative process. And this is one that obviously has the force of of the Constitution behind it uh, if it passes. Now, just to remind people, for a constitutional amendment uh, to be approved in Illinois, it takes a supermajority vote, not just 50 percent vote, to be able to put it on the ballot. So it's... Um, uh, certainly a high bar to reach, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens because obviously, you know, I've seen some of the advertising for it so far, so people are getting starting to get cranked up on it as we get closer to the election day. Let's talk about, I'm getting also tons of texts on this, non-detainable offenses that goes into effect January 1. Yeah. And I'm just going to read this one. Uh, it says, Illinois non-detainable offense beginning January 1. Aggravated battery. Aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing, arson, burglary, drug-induced homicides, intimidation, kidnapping, robbery, second-degree murder, murder, and threatening a public official. Those are all going to be non-detainable offenses. Is that correct? So this this is part of uh, the Safe the Safety Act that we that we talked about. And that that was voted on uh, at the beginning of this General Assembly back in, in, actually, excuse me, the end of the last General Assembly, the last night of the last General Assembly, where the Democrats passed this bill with the bare minimum uh, majority in the House, 60 votes. 
that we think is a terrible piece of legislation. And I think the Democrats have acceded to that since we've come back two or three times and had trailer bills to this, the Safety Act. Uh, you spelled out some of the things that, that people will not be able to be held for. Um, I think this is uh, a real disservice to the people of Illinois. Uh, I know the governor and some of his folks and, and the supporters of this bill uh, have been out there saying that, that, you know, Republicans go overboard on our on our explanation of this bill. I don't think we go overboard on our explanation of this bill. You just read off some of the non-detainable offenses. Um, this is this is going to be a real problem for Illinois come come uh, January one. Leader Durkin had a really good op-ed that he put out the other day about how the fact that this is going to help the drug cartels because some of the drug offenses are things like large drug offenses you're not going to be able to held be held for. Uh, and I think this th- this is this is a great example in that elections have consequences uh, and that when you have super majorities in the general assembly that it allows for pieces of legislation, very liberal in my mind, uh, beyond the pale pieces of legislation that are not good for the state to be able to pass with the bare minimum votes. Remember, the Democrats have 73 in the General Assembly. This passed with 60 votes. Um, it's um, It really, I think, I think is going to be bad for the people of Illinois. If you see what happens, if you paid attention to Kim Fox in Chicago, this is what's going. To, this is going to be Kim Fox on steroids across the state of Illinois, uh, and it's really too bad for the people of Illinois that their legislature uh, allowed this to happen. I received this in a text. I'm sure social media. Why is the Republican Party not saying what you just said? I don't know if people are aware yeah. of what this bill is about. We've heard it would seem like the platform is there to say, "Here's what." the governor or the Democrats, I mean, they would do the same thing and rightfully so. If it were the Republicans, they would point out the shortcomings. The Republicans seem to be just don't have a concerted message on anything right now. Yeah. I would, I would argue that, that we have been talking about this okay. from the beginning, but here's the other problem. We, we in as members of legislature, individual members of legislature don't have the same bully pulpit as the governor is. or the, or the attorney general no or folks like this. What you have seen, I mean, there are uh, uh, many states' attorneys across the state of Illinois, including folks like Bob Berlin, who's the state's attorney in DuPage County, that have been very forceful uh, in their objections to this this piece of legislation. Um, but it's it's more difficult when you're in the, the super minority where you don't have the bully pulled of the governor's office come out. We've been talking about this since since okay since the day of, that that um, that day that it passed in January of of 21 was one of the most contentious debates that I have seen in my time in the general assembly. And I think it was a terrible day because it was, it was just literally just hours before the new general assembly got sworn in, which would, which would have changed the dynamic on the vote in my opinion, because, because these were some lame duck people going out the door that voted for this. And um, we've been talking about it from, from the beginning. I know it's going to be center of, of, Many of our folks campaigns this fall, but you know, you just got to keep beating the drum on it and hopefully some people are paying attention. I think as we get closer, there's more and more discussion about this, the closer we get to January one, the, one of the greatest lessons I've learned in Mm. my 55 years of life, be the youngest, be the youngest, (laughs) you know, youngest of seven. Yeah. I never did anything wrong. No, 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 nothing. Just Obviously ask my siblings. because the older ones took the brunt. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. ask my siblings. I never well, did anything the oldest, the oldest one makes the rules. The second one is the reason the rules were made. And the third one 
ignores the rules. My, my what, parents, what rules? My yeah, parents exactly. were, were in their early 40s when I was born. I, they didn't care what I did. They were out having a good time, you know. <laughs> You're that oldest. There may be some privileges, yeah. but uh, I would trust it's going to get easier on your siblings as they, huh? And you're yep. right. Number seven? Yep. Card blanche. You got it. Um, <laughs> money, money, money. Is Mr. Griffin long gone from the trop? He rolled it all it, with Richard Irvin and is no longer going involved in any race in Illinois? Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, uh, he's going to be involved. You know, he's kind of uh, uprooted to Florida. Uh, I know he has given, uh, I've seen reports where he's given money to the Florida Republican Party. He's given money to, to Ron DeSantis, to Governor DeSantis uh, down in Florida. Uh, I have seen where uh, Dick Uline recently gave some money to, uh, gave some a bunch to Dan Proft, but then gave uh, gave some more to to Darren Bailey. So we'll see. You know, and this is welcome to today's world. You know, uh, I was I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday about you know there's there's two worlds when it comes to fundraising these days, and it's it's the it's the tons of small donors, which which Trump has done a really good job on, and others. You know, Bernie. Sanders did really good on those small donors at, at 25 bucks a pop or the mega, mega, mega donors, which is, uh, there, it seems to be, there's nobody in, in the middle on this stuff anymore. And, um, you know, it's, um, um, there's more money than ever in politics, but it's also tougher than ever to, to try to raise money and figure out where you're going to go on things. It appears that the Democrats, and I would do the same thing if I were them, are focusing on three issues. You follow a lot of things, not only in your district, but at the state, national uh, but let's talk at, at the state. Three issues. Obviously, Roe v. Wade and the decision. Uh, number two, January 6th. And number three, Marlago, the raid by the FBI. They are going to base a lot of their fall campaign, less than two months to go now, on those issues. Let's start with Roe v. Wade. Is that going to move the needle enough for them? There are women who are yeah. energized. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But maybe those women were going to not vote Republican anyway. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, I think I think the Dobbs decision is certainly going to come into play in this fall. Uh, we we saw what happened in Kansas with this primary in Kansas with the constitutional amendment that yep. went down overwhelmingly. Overwhelming, to be honest with. You. So I think I think for Republicans that's that's something to really pay attention to. I've heard reports of states where uh, voter registration has been driven up uh, uh, because of folks who uh, uh, who support, um, you know, who are pro-choice. Uh, so we're going to see what happens. I, In my opinion, I think that's going to be one of the sub-issues that, that we're going to see this fall. I don't think it's going to be the deciding issue in a lot of uh, in a lot of races. It could come into play for some of our folks in the suburbs, obviously. But I'm telling you, I mean, the economy still continues to be at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, if with inflation, with with record inflation, uh, with with the way that prices have gone, uh, and that stuff takes longer in my mind. Even though you've seen gas prices come down and things like that, people, t- you know, that, that people think about that for a long time going into the fall election. They still think they're in a bad shape uh, because of inflation and stuff like that. I think that's going to be the top the top issue. But but abortion is going to be it's it's going to be a big issue. I mean this this is this is the Dobbs decision has has changed the dynamic a little bit on the discussion about abortion. And, and I do think in some races it's probably going to be a, a defining issue. Everything else all right? Can't complain. Uh-huh. Other than this shiner on my face, you know. I was going to ask, now that you brought it up. Look, I'm I know a public official. I get out and about. So. Um, uh, you want to share this? Uh, melanoma. Oh my so gosh. I would encourage people to go out and if they got, you know, 
check in with your dermatologist every year. Uh, it's a spot that was on my face we paid attention to for several years and uh, finally went in and uh, had uh, uh, Nicole, Dr. Summer, who I've known for a long time, uh, take it out, whose father is a, you know, was an institution at SIU Plastics. She yep. did a great job. I got a phone call during a horseshoes game saying it's melanoma. Oh, so good. Uh, we had a couple different options to, to go on it. So they, uh, my dermatologist and I made a decision along with Nicole to uh, have this topical cream uh, that was originally supposed to be a 12-week treatment, but it really was working pretty good. So we kind of backed off after about three weeks. But uh, people wonder if uh, I got hit by a baseball or if Wendy, Wendy did something to me or something like that. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's uh, I'd much rather have. Uh, but it's very like minor. That. Let's yeah, remind it's, everybody. It's uh, the very top layer. Uh, it's called melanoma in situ. Uh, very top layer, very good outcomes on it and everything. But, you know, uh, look, I have a family history on both my mom's and my dad's side of cancer. So um, these are the things you, you pay attention to. And it's why well, I'm glad I got uh, good health insurance, too. So you were um, outside a lot as a kid. Yeah, I you know, I was a lifeguard growing up in Peoria. Uh, worked at the Carver Pool on the south side of Peoria for uh, my summers in high school. Uh, and then in college, I worked for Crawford, Murphy & Tilly out of their uh, Aurora office, actually and did uh, construction inspection and surveying and things like that. So when you're a high school and a college kid, you really don't care about sunscreen. You don't pay attention to a lot of that tan always looks good and everything. So, um, you know, this is this is, was a spot on my face that wasn't there probably 20 years ago that had kind of grown, and we just kept an eye on it, and here we go. So that's, You watched the Bear game yesterday? You got your hat absolutely. on? Absolutely. I, I, you're pumped up now, right? I, I, you, you know, I had Super Bowl, no, here it comes. no doubt they were going to beat the 49ers whatsoever. Uh, we got to shake off the ghost of Matt Nagy and hopefully get that offense going. But uh, certainly a big win for the Bears, and I look forward to the Arlington Bears and the Arlington Heights Bears in the future. So they got at least till what twenty thirty three. I want to say they'll pay that out there. Yeah, I you know look, that stadium's five years away anyway. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I I would say five plus, and obviously they're going to have to navigate a lot of things politically um, with the announcement this week. Look, I'm. I'm a big fan. I, I, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I said, keep them on the lakefront. I think it's the thing to do. But in today's environment, uh, if we want to see the Bears be winners, I think, I think you got to create that the revenue streams that they need uh, outside of just regular ticket sales and, and TV revenue and stuff like that to create the revenue streams to, to create a winning franchise. And with the, with the stadium, hopefully it's going to attract a lot of good stuff to that part of the state. I think Chicago is the only city in the United States that has five major professional franchises playing in the city limits. Yeah, you're probably... Cubs, White Sox, city limits, Blackhawks, Bulls, and the Bears. The only city in the United States that has all five professional teams playing inside the city limits. Yeah. Maybe not for long. And I think they are a a charter franchise of the NFL. Thanks Thanks for coming in, brother. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.